You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast. This podcast series aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters or brushing up on essential skills and tactics. We cover a variety of topics that will help you become more confident and successful in the field while hunting deer. In this episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast, I'm talking with Zach Farrenbaugh of The Hunting Public about how spring turkey hunting can make you a better deer hunter. Zach and the rest of the THP crew spend each spring on the THP turkey tour, traveling from state to state, hunting turkeys in lots of different landscapes. Much of what they learn each spring while chasing longbeards serves them well each fall when it's time to chase whitetails again. Spring turkey hunting can benefit the avid whitetail hunter in many ways. Everyone knows that spring, especially early spring, can be a great time to scout for last season's deer sign. But the payoff doesn't stop there. Turkeys have a lot to teach us about calling animals, fooling an animal's senses, the right time to make moves, and how to get off an ethical shot in the moment of truth. This episode is all about how to up your fall deer hunting game by chasing toms this spring. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Zach, you uh, you travel all over the country, um, always taking advantage of turkey hunting and the intel that you learn while you're out there to sort of capitalize on that for uh, for hunting deer, right? Yeah. And you're getting ready to launch into another spring. I'm sure this spring will be no different. How much of a conscious effort are you making to look for deer sign as you're turkey hunting or is it just kind of a when it catches your eye you're gonna you're gonna pay attention to it like what does that process look like for you well the past so that varies so much um and i've i've actually decided in the last couple years or definitely going into last year that i wanted to do a better job of it um and and i think going into this year i want to take that a whole nother step further i want to do a better job yet of making sure that I'm paying enough attention to deer sign out there that I can use that to my advantage in the future. And, and not necessarily from a standpoint of specifics, because again, a lot of the specifics, um, I, I guess I don't want to, this, I don't want to make this come out to sound wrong, but it's just like, I feel really confident when I can guess where deer are going to be betting. If I know what the habitat is like. Yep. Like the terrain wise, I'm not as worried about understanding terrain as much as I am about habitat. So like what I'm trying to do is just figure out those more specific things within the terrain, just taking note of like, okay, there's definitely more deer sign in this habitat type in this big wood setting or whatever. And that's generally what I'm dealing with. I mean, I, I typically turkey hunt in big wood settings. So the terrain is generally consistent where the deer spend their time, how they move through it, where they bed on it. But 
how much they bed on a particular area is definitely more dictated by what vegetation is within that terrain and just trying to get a better idea of like what is something to kind of hold up on um you know when you're actually in a deer hunting situation and and another thing is is there's a lot of places that I turkey hunt that I don't really have intentions of deer hunting right away, but I will someday. I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of life. Hopefully there's a lot of life left ahead where I (laughs) circle back on some of these areas. So kind of back to what we talked about earlier, um, pinning specifics, right? So like if I'm going to an area and I'm turkey hunting and all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, that's a great looking scrape. And like, you know, now that I think about it, a bunch of stuff does come together here. It's like, this might be worth, you know, spending a morning setting up here. Maybe take that extra little bit of time to pin that scrape, that potential setup. I want to do a better job of doing that. And then I also want to do a better job of just like finding what it is specifically about the vegetation in that given area or state that is different maybe than a different state that I've hunted with similar terrain. Does that make sense? Yeah. So kind of learning the, really capitalizing on learning the deer in that specific area. Like, you know, the deer in this area, they really love to be up on top in this kind of cover. Uh, but the deer over here in this area really prefer to be, you know, down in the bottoms because of this diversity that's along this Creek or whatever. I'll I'll use I'll use an example of, um, like if I'm in Ohio, for example, I've hunted those, those Hills enough that, if I find a clear cut or that's really thick, or I find just a really, really dense patch of green briar in, you know, fairly mature forest, just stuff that people don't really want to walk through, but deer feel comfortable hiding in. Those are the type of things that I expect deer to be bedded in. But when I go to like Tennessee, for example, the timber is going to be a little bit different. Now, obviously if I see, a patch of green briar, I can say, okay, that's, you know, probably a good thing. I've seen that before, but what's different about Tennessee than Ohio? Because, you know, maybe there's not clear cut. Maybe it's a a piece of public land where they don't do much cutting. Maybe uh, in that situation, you're looking more for like wind damage, or you're looking for a stand of, you know, a stand of pines that's all dead and fallen over, you know, stuff like that. That's a little bit different or mountain laurel is one that you see that differs from a lot of areas that I've hunted. If you got mountain laurel in like Virginia, for example, you definitely see more sign there than you do in just regular open timber. So therefore I'm taking note of that and just really making sure I remember if I'm in an area where there's mountain laurel, you know, I need to take note of that more than I do maybe, I mean, definitely a place and there isn't mountain laurel. So it's just, I guess yep. that's the big thing. Just learning what vegetation it takes in that specific area to keep deer packed into a spot versus just way spread out in all these hills. Yep. Yeah. I, there's a, have you ever seen uh, like Yawpon holly? Mm-mm. It's it's a like a holly bush kind of thing that grows in the deep deep south, and I mean like the coast, like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like along the Gulf Coast down into Texas, that kind of stuff. Real tiny little leaves. You can actually make a tea out of it that makes a pretty caffeinated, like a really caffeinated beverage. So you might be interested in that. Zach. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're usually looking to get pretty jacked up on some caffeine. Um, but you know, growing up literally within you know not not very far from the Gulf Coast. 
uh, the deer never really paid attention to it very much where I was, was at growing up. And the soils there are really, really sandy. A little bit further up in like south central Alabama, you could say, um, I found a, a pocket of deer there that was just in this little spot where I was hunting, just hammering this stuff. Now the soil conditions there were a little bit different. So I don't know if that's what made that difference, but, but in one place they loved it. And, and I ended up taking a doe off of a, a yop on holly bush because they came back to the same bush every day to eat this stupid holly. And then wow. growing up at home, I've never seen a deer touch this stuff, you know, growing up right there along the coast, never saw them touch it. So I don't know if it's nutrient contents based on the soil types or, or what it is, but, but yeah, that's a really good point. You know, keying in on, on what kind of plants, what kind of vegetation, what kind of habitat type do the deer prefer in this specific area? Because it's not, it's not the same everywhere. Even no. if the, even if the vegetation type is the same. Yeah, it's definitely not the same. And that's, that's a great example of what you just had of like one place, they may be eating the heck out of this one you know, thing or whatever, they're, they're really, really locked in in a specific spot where the next day wouldn't even touch it. And I, it is just so interesting. And again, a lot of the similar, there's a lot of similarities in terrain. Like I, I really like hunting Hills because the more experience you get doing it, the more you start to see where deer are bedding within those terrain features. But then when you really match the vegetation type to that terrain feature, it really takes you a whole nother step in the right direction of just being around more deer during a hunt. And I, I think like one example that I have from last year that I, you know, want to improve on is I was watching stuff during from Kentucky that we were turkey hunting in. And I remember thinking to myself like, man, I wasn't paying a lick of attention to what deer would be doing right there. And I want to hunt Kentucky. I wanna, I, and I, like, I'd like to go back and hunt Kentucky and that yeah. similar type of stuff. So it's like, I wish I had just been paying a little bit more attention there. And, you know, kind of that same thing of like, I just need to take, take the time to like look at it from a deer hunting perspective too, and recognize that this is my time to see out as much as anything. And while I may not be hunting here, you know, this year or the next year or whatever, maybe 10 years from now, I'm finding myself here and it's going to help if I'm paying attention to it. And like anytime you get the chance to see what deer are doing, it's going to help you for something, you know, somewhere down the line, whether you're hunting exactly there or not, it just, it's nice to like get that experience. And I just got to make sure I focus on that versus chasing the turkey solely, which I think is like really fun. And I, I also think has its benefits to making you a better deer hunter, which we could dive way into that too. But, um, you know, it's all beneficial, but at the end of the day, just paying attention to that sign a little bit more is definitely something I want to continue to get better at. Cause I'm definitely not perfect at staying focused on it all the time. Cause I start hearing gobbles and I start paying attention to what I'm doing with that versus <laughs> not looking at, looking at the big picture of all species, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, uh, another big thing about, and I, I do want to come back to that topic actually here in just a minute about how just getting out and hunting turkeys in general can make you a better deer hunter. So we'll, we'll circle back around to that. And if I forget to do it, stop me, you know, <laughs> help, help me yeah. remember to come back to that topic. Cause that's a really, really good one. Um, one of the things I wanted to cover though is green up can make things really difficult in the woods. So um, I've been working on the last couple of years, 
basically putting on the right glasses for scouting. So there's a certain set of glasses I put on for scouting early season, where if I find two rubs on September 18th, I'm probably going to, and, and they're near some white oaks, I'm going to set up right there. If I find two rubs on November 5th, I'm going to walk right past them. You know right. what I mean? So putting on the different kinds of glasses, I think is super, super important. So what are some of the things that kind of guide the way you view sign during, uh, while you're turkey hunting, as opposed to maybe if you were doing in-season scouting, or maybe even if you were just doing some, you know, immediate postseason scouting, like maybe it's January 20th or February 1st and you're, you're scouting, you know, like when you're walking through in turkey season, you're finding licking branches, you're finding rubs, you're finding old beds. Like, what are some of the clues that you're keying into to say, okay, this is probably the time of year that this was made? Because, and I want to say a, a September scrape is very different than an October scrape and can be very different than a November 4th scrape. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So walk okay. me through a little bit of that and how you kind of interpret the sign. So I try not to. <laughs> okay, <laughs> really. that's good. Unless it's, unless it's in season. Um, and you know, I say that and I really, there's, there's so much, there's so much that I always loop back to like saying, and it's, it's kind of cliche in itself of like, it's situational. So it depends on yep. exactly what it looks like, but yep. just like, just like a ridge top scrape, it's like, nah, whatever. I mean, yeah, Buck could have cruised through here, ripped up a tree. Um, not really been a big deal, but it's like, if I consistently see that, for example, if I, uh, see like in a specific spot, like consistently year after year, there's just this like huge scrape there. Then I start thinking of viewing that a little bit differently. The size of the scrape, you know, the location of the scrape, that all makes a little bit of a difference too. Um, like if I find a, a big, big tore up licking branch, just twisted, the scrapes giant and it's right on the edge of where I already think the air bedding then I'm going to take that a little bit more seriously than just one that's like on a path of least resistance. Yep. Like if I, like if I'm on a trail that, you know, humans and hunters and or humans, hunters, deer, four wheelers, whatever, everybody's going down this trail and there's a scrape on it again. It's like, and eh, it's not that interesting. Cause I think that's probably being made at night, but if it's like kind of this weird, oddball spot where it looks like this scrape has been hit consistently or you know maybe there's a maybe there's a big scrape paired with like a big signpost rub where it's like year after year bucks are cruising through this spot i'll take a little bit more um i'll pay a little bit more attention to that but like really when i'm looking i guess let's just we'll take a step back here if i'm looking this time of the year specifically I'm just really looking for a lot of diversity. Like I'm going into the yeah. woods, trying to see these different layers of, of habitat. So if I go into an area right now and it's all just really boring land, mature forest, I can figure that out by putting boots on the ground really fast. Yep. So that might be a situation where I'm like, eh, you know, it just, it just doesn't have the stuff it needs to hold deer throughout the year here. Mm. It's maybe a one, maybe every once in a while, every couple of years, there's a really good stand of oaks in here that drops acorns, but it's like consistently speaking, this isn't a spot that 
you know, I think it's holding deer year round versus if I go into an area and it's got, you know, it's got a whole bunch of rubs, it's got a whole bunch of scrapes. There's just high deer density, high travel, you know, high use tribal routes in general. I'm looking at the private land and there's deer coming from private land to public land. You know, if you walk a border or something, you can tell the deer traveling both places are coming across this, you know, into the private land habitat over here, but then they're also coming onto the public land habitat over here. And there's, you know, a clear cut, there's a wetland area. That's like, okay, now I can come back in here during hunting season and I can kind of hone in on a little bit more specific. So like right now I'm more or less just looking for a place that holds deer all year or, you know, the majority of the season and ideally all year, you know, the best, very best places, honestly, I think have deer in them from, you know, the very beginning of season or I mean the very beginning, January 1st, all the way to the last day of December, basically they're just there all year within that area, they shift and that's good. You know, you can expect that, but like, that's why I don't want to get too specific when I'm scouting, especially this time of the year, because if I find this huge rub, for example, and it's like right under, you know, a big stand of Oak trees that are, we're dropping acorns. I'll use an, I'll use an example from this past year. We were hunting in 2020 everything we were doing in Ohio was focused solely on these scarlet Oak acorns. Mm -hmm. And when we would go to, and then we went to Georgia, actually it was the same thing. Keith and I were hunting in Georgia and like everywhere we were finding scarlet Oak trees, there was acorns under them and that's where the deer were feeding. So it was pretty like, it was actually pretty straightforward. Well, fast forward a year and this year there were zero acorns on the ground by mid-November when I made it to those same areas. None. There wasn't, there wasn't white. There wasn't red. There wasn't, I mean, there was no acorns and the deer were just not focused in on one specific spot. So for example, if you were to have been, and we were, you know, scouting last year after the season. So the same time frame one year prior to now, we were out there scouting. All the sign was still around all those scarlet oaks all the way into February. Yeah. I mean, we found sheds laying in torn up piles of scarlet oak under, you know, under the tree wow. where they were still feeding on there. There's two pair of sheds laying right in them. Wow. So it's like they're literally still on that stuff. But if you buy too much into that right now and you try to fast forward that to like this year, it would have been completely worthless because they just weren't feeding there. I mean, that's, I'm not saying they weren't browsing through those zones, but they definitely weren't as consistent as they were. They weren't using it as a feed tree as much as I'll pass under this and hope. And that's kind of what the sign in general was doing this year. A lot more meandering than I've ever seen before because I've never seen an acorn year so bad where there was not some sort of concentration of deer. They were all just spread out. Every time you'd hit a fresh track this year, it was like, I don't really even know why he's there other than <laughs> just kind of going, you know, he's just kind of going somewhere else Yeah, yeah. Um, on the way feeding on whatever he can. And, and it was definitely a different year. So if you were to focus too much on what you saw the year prior conditions change or those food source factors change enough that it may make a huge difference. So when you're talking with agriculture too, that's a huge, huge factor as well. Like if you're in corn one year, beans to the next, 
I mean, I'm talking, I've seen so much consistent change in that. It's crazy. Like almost hundred percent of the time, in my opinion, corn years in a lot of places are better for big bucks. Mm, okay. You've got standing corn surrounding something. I mean, I actually have a really crazy story of a buddy when we were working at Midwest whitetail, buddy of ours, Eric Barber, he had, uh, I think it was about 40 acres. He rented a place from the old timer that was the landowner. And that guy let him hunt back there. And this property was like basically just a hedge thicket with ag fields around it. Mm. And there was two ag fields that kind of made a corner. And in the inside of that corner, there was this hedge thicket. It was an old grown up pasture, but there was standing corn all around it. And one year there was like four bucks, shooter bucks living in that little tiny, tiny. I mean, this is within the 40 acres. I'm talking this like five acre piece. There was four bucks consistently living in there. The next year, none, none. It was beans. So all that wow. cover, they were basically insulated in there with standing cornfield, a sea of corn around them. Yep. But they felt comfortable in there because that corn was there. So like that just goes to show year to year, if you're buying into this, this sign, you can get hooked up on, oh man, I'm going to come in here next year and this is going to be awesome. And in reality, the deer have moved a half mile or more or whatever, a couple hundred yards or more to a totally different area because conditions change, hunting pressure changes. Um, you know, so I don't try to buy too much into anything now. Um, other than just trying to learn the land and, you know, if there's something that I think is like a really great funnel for the rut, maybe where I maybe would put a few hours of setting up into sure. I'll pick something up out like that. And what makes me feel really good about those areas is, something that's like seems more annual, like a really big scrape, a signpost rub, um, just a, you know, trail that's been used that has like historic rubs on it with fresh rubs. Like if you can see where there's a rub from like five years ago or a rub line where deer were doing this five years prior and then right beside it, there's fresh rubs on it. It's like, there's probably bucks going through there in the peak of the rut and peaking at the cru- peak of the cruising. Um, but you know, as far as like very specific, you know, stuff, I do feel that it's more important to focus on fresh sign in season. And then as you kind of move on to a different time of the year, you get into Turkey, I would say you start to train. He's really, I guess that time of the year too, I'm doing the same thing, I guess, as far as speaking of a scouting lens that carries on into the, into the, um, summer and then once it hits summer i think the biggest thing that you can do is just like kind of glass stuff and kind of get an idea of where deer are spending their time right now because that then might help that transition of like right when the season starts you might be able to take advantage of where they're kind of spending time if you know there's a couple bucks coming you know they're close to some area that you can hunt or something that you see out in the field in velvet in august you know i do think that 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 can be beneficial just kind of getting an idea of like what and I don't run trail cameras. So that's like my inventory time. Yep. Yep. If, if I, if I even have the opportunity to do it, I mean like now I'm mostly just looking for, for elk at that time frame anyway, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've but, moved on but, in recent years. 
for that time yeah, of year. Still, but still doing it. I mean, still like if I'm going to be glassing it, I, I mean, that's what I want to be doing in the summer is doing a lot of glassing in yeah. general. Um, and, uh, and then when it comes to in season, it's just taking all those places that you thought were good in the early part of the scouting season now and through Turkey, you're going back and you're just like looking to check and see if there's good sign coming from where you think deer may be bedded. Yeah. You know, there's, there's all these places that look like they might've been good. Yeah. Maybe you did see like five scrapes over here, but it's like, are those open now? If they're open, then great. It's probably worth, you know, setting up close to them or on them or whatever. But if they're not open, then the deer are probably just somewhere else. And that may be based off a number of things, but then that's kind of your next thing to check off is like what, what made them move and where are they? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, looking at Turkey season, then specifically while you're out there, you're going to take a lot of that sign and hold it very, very loosely. You know, yeah. there's some big things you're keying in on, but for the most part, it's providing you maybe a good starting point for the following season. Uh, mm -hmm. so I think it's safe to say you're not one of those guys, Zach, if anybody's watched any of your videos, they know you're not one of those guys that's going to go out, find some, you know, find a bunch of scrapes from, uh, while they're out turkey hunting, come in with their ladder stand the next week right. and throw that sucker up. You're not doing that. Right. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, but at the same time, it might, I mean, depending on your style, depending on where you're at too, because it's like, it is so, it is so hard to say. Cause like, I mean, let's, I don't hunt there anymore. I can't, I can't hunt there, uh, every year anymore. Cause I'm now a Colorado resident, but when I hunted Iowa, for example, it's like sign really didn't matter by the end. It didn't matter hardly at all. Other than if I saw high density of it, that made me feel better at finding more bucks in an area. At that point, then it was more of just like, using different tools to my advantage, like using the visual aspect of like being in pretty open country in Iowa, like just get to a high point, kind of be patient, wait to see one and then just like go hunt him versus Ohio or um, Pennsylvania or New York, which I've hunted in recent years as well. It's a lot different there because you can't see as much. You can't just like pop out and just like, go you know, sit on a spot and just watch it for long enough and see a deer moving and make an adjustment from there. Mm. So, you know, I really enjoy hunting but where I feel that most at my, that, that I think this is kind of funny is I really feel like hunting open country is my favorite and where I'm like the most at home. And that, and that varies. I mean, you can find open country in a lot of the country, in a lot of the country, even in your non-traditional spots, we've been able to find places where you can get eyes and get a visual on deer, but I do and really enjoy hunting big timber sections where you can't see much because that isn't in my comfort zone. Yeah. Right. Yep. It's like, I like to do something that makes me feel like really challenged. And I, I mean, I have a love hate relationship with big woods deer hunting, but that's why, I keep doing it is because there's one, one day I love it and the next day I hate it. And it keeps me coming back versus I always love hunting open country. And I do like taking trips to those places and I will continue to, but I like to do a little of both because it challenges me in, in two totally different ways. So it's like, if I do see, if I see a bunch of really great sign in like Illinois, for example, 
probably going to pin it loosely and then just like try to like get eyes on a big buff. Yeah. I may literally be driving around trying to get eyes on a big buff. I may be like walking up to the one little high point and just glassing for an entire morning to see how deer are moving through an area. But in Ohio or Kentucky or Virginia, you don't necessarily have that opportunity. So maybe in that place, I put a little bit more weight on a big scrape line and I do, you know, have a plan to maybe go in and set up on that. So, you know, it's so, it's so relative. And I know that sucks. I wish there was like, I always wish there was like a more night and day answer of like the right thing to do, but there just isn't. Well, see, see, I, I don't want there to be that right and wrong answer, black and white answer. And and I want it to be relative because honestly, one of the things that I like about doing this specific podcast, you know, the how to hunt deer podcast is so much of hunting media has been marketed as follow this formula, follow these steps and you will see success. And it's been BS since day one. Yeah, And, And it's like, the new generation of hunters needs to be told up front that that's right. BS. There are yeah. things that ring true across the board. Deer like to feel safe when they eat, when they sleep, when they have sex, they like to feel safe <laughs> like, yeah. like all the time. Yeah. That's true everywhere, but it's not. And even, I don't know, even in the, even in the, the direction of like some of the mobile running gun, you know, highly aggressive hunting styles for a while almost took on a little bit of a flavor of like w- almost one dimensional. And I, you guys have even kind of critiqued your own stuff uh, from earlier on and said, Hey, we were laser focused on buck betting. And now I'm so, I did. I'm so glad that was like fading away. Like the amount of questions that we would get revolving around buck betting was like, honestly, so it, it got to a point where it was like, there's trying to be, there's trying to be an answer for everything through buck betting. And there just still isn't, it's like, it's still just one part of the, of the, um, grant, you know, overall it's, it's a one puzzle piece, for example. Now it's a big one. I I feel like it's a big puzzle piece and it answers a lot of other questions. So does it deserve a lot of attention? Sure. But it's mm. it even that's still not the silver bullet. It's probably the best bullet, that, you know the the best emphasis, emphasis that I've seen, uh, as opposed to you know gimmicks and tricks and one of my favorite products of all time, the Acorn Cruncher. Did you ever, <laughs> you ever <laughs> did you ever see that thing? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Dude, <laughs> I remember walking through Walmart and seeing the Acorn Cruncher, and I'm like, I think I was a teenager at the time, and I'm like, I I'm how are, people are buying this? Like people are literally buying this. Oh, dude, there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of, and, and I think too, the other thing that, you know, I, is important to me is I, I enjoy hunting because I enjoy the challenge of figuring out where they want to be without me, like forcing them to be somewhere like, like baiting is a huge deal in a lot of the country. Yep. And I know, yep. I know a lot of the Midwest, it isn't, but like, I mean, there's definitely some like Kansas baiting is a huge deal. Yep. A lot of the Southern states and Eastern states baiting is legal. I mean, baiting's legal in my home state of Ohio. I've been dealing with it for a long time. And it's just like, I don't, I don't want that to be the focus anymore because if you get so focused on like baiting deer, that's the only thing, only strategy. It's just so limiting 
And it also like may not be realistic for everybody. Like if you're hunting public land in a lot of places, you can't bait on public land. So like, you know, that's not the answer. There's definitely more to the, I, I guess if I was going to give a tip to any hunter, it would just be simply go continue to get experience and don't critique yourself on the outcome. Like don't have, don't have a, what is success in your head unless it is just simply that you learn something. Because if you go out and every time you think you have to see a big buck or see a deer or shoot at something, it's like, you're going to start not having fun because you're holding this like unrealistic expectation in your head. But if you just go out there knowing that like, I'm not going to compare myself to anyone else. I'm just going to continue to try to get more experiences for myself. That way I just have, you know, better confidence for the next time it will end up working out and stuff will click. I think, and and it's funny because (laughs) basically here I am, like making hunting content to try to help people become better. But I'll tell you straight up, the best thing you can do is not do too much of that. (laughs) Watching content, You know, you start watching too much of like any, especially, especially like one group, like if you're just watching THP or you're just watching like, uh, the untamed and, you know, or somebody up in the Northeast or whatever, or somebody in the West or South or whatever, you're just watching content and you're trying to figure it out by watching content and looking at maps. Like you're not getting as much experience as you could be as if you're just going putting boots on the ground and just figuring it out for yourself, trying like you're better off hunting and failing miserable than you are watching content of somebody telling you how they've had success in their experience because that's not your experience. And like you can listen to them and you can make this idea in your head and you can listen to a hunting story, but like until you actually see it, you don't even really believe it. And you're going to continue to like mess things up because you're just like, you you never had that happen to you. Like, uh, I'll just like use a personal example. It's like, I know there's been plenty of times, this isn't a direct story, but I know there's been plenty of times in my life where I've heard somebody say something whether that be how a turkey was acting or how a big, big buck was acting. But until I actually saw it myself, I didn't even really believe it was true. Mm. And therefore I would mess it up because I hadn't had that experience yet for myself. But then once I had that experience and the next time I'd play it a little bit different yep. or I'd expect it to be a little bit different, but it's like, um, you like halfway don't even believe it. If that makes sense, <laughs> you can listen to, you can listen to stories and examples and you know, but until you go put your boots on the ground and make those mistakes and see those specific things yourself, you're just going to keep, uh, you keep wondering really, you're going to keep wondering what the answer is. And, and what, but once you start going out and getting those experiences, going in with an open mind, knowing that there is no real success or failure, it's just like trying to continue to improve and take something away from it. Like when you start doing that, you're going to start actually becoming a better hunter, I think. So, yeah. Yeah, that's good. La- the last thing I want to kind of key in on a little bit is kind of based on that, that becoming a better hunter piece. I'm curious what guys can do during turkey season to kind of hone some skills that will directly carry over. Now, 
I asked this question knowing that we could go for another three hours kind of <laughs> on that, but, but maybe what are some of the, like your top takeaways of like, these are skills that you learn really well in the Turkey woods and they're going to serve you super well come October. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you want to really get better at just like overall hunting, knowing when you can move, knowing when, like when to call this help you become a better deer caller, elk caller, whatever you want to call, start turkey hunting with no decoys. Like I turkey hunting with decoys is I mean, it's like, it's like legal everywhere. I think, I don't, I guess I don't know this. I, I don't do it anymore. So I don't really pay any attention to it or not, but as far as I know, it's legal everywhere, but having Turkey hunted for like essentially my entire life and in, in a lot of different places, like I can tell you straight up the Turkey hunting with decoys definitely takes a lot of the challenge out of it. Now, if you're trying to get into Turkey hunting, you want to get some turkeys under your belt, like by all means do it. But it's like, if you found yourself where you're just like shooting your Turkey or your couple turkeys, you're filling your tags and then you're just going with buddies and you guys are just piling up over and over and over again. You're kind of using the same strategy of just like get a decoy out there, let the Turkey see it. That that's not helping you improve overall. Yep. And when you find yourself with no decoys, you start to realize how much better turkeys are than you are actually out there because <laughs> you know, like yeah. you basically when you're using a decoy, you're taking away their number one, defense or you're fooling their number one defense, which I mean, again, no matter what, depending on what you're into, like if that's what you like to do, by all means do it. But it's when you turkey hunt with a decoy, you immediately make him think, Oh, there's just another turkey right there. Like all bets are off. Like any weird sounds or things I saw or heard or at this point, like I don't care anymore because like it's full on Turkey rut and I'm going up here to either beat up this other male bird or display for this hen. And I think it just like lets them take the takes, lets their guard down really quickly. But when you're not using decoys, you have to actually fool the Turkey and he's really good at seeing mm -hmm. and he's really good at like making sure he sees you before you see him. Yep. Like Turkey doing this deal, popping his head up over the ridge, <laughs> you know, like that makes you realize real quick. And then that teaches you how to move. That teaches you how to be, you know, quiet when you're moving, it teaches you how to, um, you know, get your weapon pointed in the right direction. And I mean, all those things are going to help you when you actually have a bucket point blank, when you're calling to a Turkey, there's very specific things that have to be right before you're going to actually call him in to gun range. Same thing with the deer. You can't, I'll, I'll paint, paint three different pictures. You're in the Turkey woods and it's wide open ridge 300 yards you can see out in front of you 200 yards whatever turkey comes out there starts gobbling you got no decoy in between you and him and it's just you and him wide open in between he's not going to come in unless he's just some total fool that is just which there really are very rarely birds that i i've seen do this even the hottest of turkeys that will get to a point where they can see where that sound's coming from and not hang up they're going to hang up. Same thing with the big buck. If a big buck gets to a point where you're in that same exact timber situation and you grunt to him, he's going to get to a point where he stops and he's going to look around and he's going to think, all right, I got to see something else. 
Same thing with elk. The way you call to an elk, if you're in really open stuff, like if there's an elk on one side of a meadow and you're on the other and there's 150 yards between you and the other side of that meadow, yeah, he may come right to the other side of that meadow, pop his head out and look. And if you're, there's nothing there, well, he's not going to come in. He's not going to take that risk to come in unless he sees something. Same thing with the turkey. So it's like the more reps you get calling turkeys in and using the terrain and vegetation to your advantage, the better you get at calling all animals. And I think the better you get at, um, I think just understanding how important being realistic is, you know, you, you start calling really well with a mouth call and you're scratching you're making set painting the picture really well. I think it helps you paint a better picture for calling deer in. I think it helps you paint a better picture for calling elk in. And I just think that, um, if you always resort back to just using a decoy, you're taking away from how you can build knowledge for all those other things that, because at the end of the day, like, I mean, the Turkey is, I mean, it's brain is small, but it knows how to survive. It knows how to survive in the woods. Yep. It is really good. Or, or just in general, they're, they're really good at surviving. But when you fool that number one defense of their eyesight, I think it, I, I definitely just think it takes a little bit away from what you could be getting out of it. Again, yep. I'm not saying I'm against it. I'm not saying that I don't think you're like, you know, I don't think you're a good turkey hunter if you use decoy. I don't think that's true. I think that you can get more out of the experience if you're not using them. And I just think that uh, it makes you better all around. And I think I wouldn't be as efficient at hunting deer and killing deer if it wasn't for turkey hunting. Sure. I I promise that to be true. And I, I know people think that that's crazy. And I know there's people that as long as they live will never listen to me say that but I'm right. (laughs) I mean, it's just true. Like I, if you, if you let yourself be challenged by turkeys, they will challenge you and they will make you a better hunter. Yeah, that's good. I I really like that idea of, you know, taking that opportunity to push yourself because you're right. You learn so much more about when and how you can move. What can I get away with? Um, Because when it, when it comes to at least spooking something by sound, I haven't really noticed a big difference between deer and turkeys. Like I feel like I can make about the same amount of noise. Um, and I, I honestly, I feel like a turkey's going to pick me out if they see me faster than a deer is going to pick me out and going to be a lot less forgiving. Cause that deer oh. might look and say, did I see something that turkey's going to look and say, hell no, I'm, I'm gone. Like, yeah. Good luck catching me. Good luck catching up with me again today because I'm out of here. Yeah. It teaches you a lot about movement, right? Like everything picks up on movement really well. Like even a Turkey and now turkeys won't give you much time. No. And that, that's, that's definitely a true thing. Like we have a ton of situations where we set up where, you know, our gun barrel is facing about exactly our range. Like let's say 30 yards is like as far as we can see or less. And a lot of times a turkey will pop his head up, give it one look. And as soon as he sees a blob sitting against a tree, that's not hidden well enough. He'll start putting and dipping out of there where he won't even give you a full view of his body yep. where and that's not a whole lot of time, but it's like a deer on the other hand, if you've got good enough cover and you don't move, 
a lot of times they will kind of question what that is and will kind of give you a chance. Like there's been a couple of bucks. Well, there's actually been several bucks that have pegged my butt so bad. I mean, like definitely saw me. North Dakota buck last year and then the New York buck in 2019 are both bucks that I shot off my boat at really pretty dang close range um, that had figured out something was wrong but knowing how to move at the right time and under, you know, just recognizing when, what and when you can get away with certain things makes all the difference. And like literally the deer running away, are you killing them? Like it, it's, and I really do relate a ton of that back to Turkey because that's where you get to test everything. You know, you kind of get those reps in Turkey season. You don't get a whole bunch of big bucks at 20 yards. No. Like in the grand scheme of your life, you're not going to get a whole bunch of big bucks at 20 yards, but you might get a fair amount of turkeys at 20 yards and, and those experiences help you be better for when you do get a big buck or a big bowl or whatever at, at point blank. And then you get to just have more confidence. And I, I know for a fact, those two bucks that I just referenced probably wouldn't have got a shot at them had I not been, you know, turkey hunting so many times to know like, Okay, like I know when I when and how I'm going to get away with this, you know. Yeah, yeah. And another thing that I uh, I feel like I've gotten better with, be specifically because of turkey hunting, is taking shots at live animals, because I have always been the type that like, so deer. Walk, and I've I've killed a fair number of deer in my life, but I've always been the time that man that deer walks out, and I get my weapon up, rifle, bow, whatever. And I black out and I wake up and something was sent down range, an arrow, a bullet, like, you know, and I'm like, oh my, did I make it? I don't know what happened. You know, with turkeys, I don't black out. Yeah. You know, I'm much more in the moment. And I feel like getting those reps while it's still high intensity, while there's still a lot of stress, I can kind of calm my, you know, practice that calming myself down and going through the motions of it. Uh, on something that's not going to make me just absolutely melt. That's such a great point. It definitely helps that as well. And I mean, I would say I get equally as worked up for a deer. Basically anything that I shoot at, I get about equally as worked up. But again, it's just reps. It's like just getting more and more reps. You're getting better at controlling your breathing and focusing through the moment and just making sure that you don't like rush anything or, um, take a bad shot or force it when you, and you know, you're still going to make those mistakes every once in a while, but it makes you better. The more reps you get, yep. the more reps you get, the more confident you feel the next time. And I just, man, I really, really, really do believe that, um, turkey hunting is just, it's just such a great way to get more hunting experience and become a well-rounded hunter. And it teaches you so much too about just like, you know, fresh sign. What does fresh sign mean? Like, I mean, if you're new to hunting, you probably have heard that, you know, especially if you're taking in and consuming the content of, you know, other people that are hunting like similar situations, like hunting public land or whatever, you hear fresh sign. Well, what does that actually mean? Well, when you're turkey hunting, you can test that. You know, if you see some scratching that you think's fresh, like, well, set up and see what see what happens. You know, it take it's all just building experiences. Yep. And I, I I seriously just the more I hunt, the more I'm just thankful that 
I went as many times as I did as a kid, whether it was good or bad, it was always an experience. And I always was taking something away from them. And I mean, I've been hunting as much as I possibly can. I mean, you know, like getting myself in trouble hunting too much since I was a kid. So it's like, the more you do that, the more you get better experiences. And if you're passing opportunities to hunt turkeys, to do something that's think you think might make you better for deer. I, I would be willing to bet that just scouting more or something or look or doing different work other than actually going hunting, I think isn't as important. If that makes sense. Like if you're spending all of Turkey season scouting for deer, like, I don't know that that actually over like outweighs getting experience, actually hunting, actually having yeah. animals in front of you if that makes yeah, sense you may have been better off losing out on that scouting and hunting deer i mean and hunting turkeys instead like that may serve you better in the long run even though it doesn't feel like it maybe in the moment the amount of times that i've got myself in a deer hunting situation where like th- this is this is what turkey hunting has done for me and it happened with a couple of these bucks that i was talking about earlier it's like you get yourself in a situation where all of a sudden it's like Ooh, this really isn't going exactly how I planned. Like all of a sudden this Turkey may be just like dead. He's in range. Like I know if I can get turned around, I can get him shot, but I don't, but he's dead behind me. How do I do that? How do I get there? Well, if the same thing happens with the deer, well, how do you get there? Mm. Well, you got, if you've never Turkey hunted or you've never been in that situation, Turkey hunting, then your experience with that exact situation is much less. So your odds of pulling it off are much less. Yep. Like, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of like exactly what I mean, but just that comfort within the setup and that ability and that confidence to just like move. And I can tell that it's happening when I hunt with like people that don't have as much experience with it. And then it's like, there's that hesitation to move. It's like, it's like, ah, you know, I've been in that situation. I know right then was a spot. Then the, that was the opportunity. Yep. But it yep. takes that experience to get to the next time you do it. And I'll, I'll, here's a really good, a really good example. I was hunting with uh, Turkey last year with um, my friend Keith. And then my now friend, Jacob, Jacob, not, not uh, THP Jacob, but um, this is a guy that Keith, went to high school with and has hunted with over the years, but I had never met him. And he was, um, with us turkey hunting for three days this past spring. And we jump in the truck, you know, start talking. And he's like, yeah, I've never, I've never killed a turkey. I'm like, all right, well, here we go. Like you're on gun, you know, you're on gun first. And first day and, and the weather was perfect. And we were just, we were just in turkeys. Things were just going incredibly well. First day we call in some turkeys to like, honestly, like 12 yards. And the way they came in was a tough angle. He didn't have a good shot at him. And he just like, didn't make that final, like, you know, move to get up and get a good shot on. Sure. A couple days or the couple days later, uh, Turkey came in real close and came to his hard left and, and kind of surprised us. And he didn't make the swing on it and the Turkey mm. saw us and flew off. Yep. So it's like a couple times and not quite, quite not making that move. And then on the last day that we were hunting together, he was, he it was his last day to, to hunt. 
three minutes left because in in Ohio you could you can only hunt till noon um, at that point in the season at least. There was three minutes left, and there was this turkey strutting on the hill right below us, and he fi- and he you know he finally made that move to get himself up and get a beat on the bird and got, you know, got his first Turkey. So he went from like, you know, kind of fumbling the opportunities to actually making that move and doing it because he had those experiences where he quote unquote failed. Yep. Right. Yep. It's like, it feels like failure when you don't get one, but without that failure, you wouldn't have success. That's right. And because he got through those and it was so fun to watch him, go through those experiences and then by the end of it be that much better for it. And I'm so proud of that, like, you know, time for, for him and me and Keith. And like, we just all learned from it because it's like, you sometimes take for granted those experiences that you have and how valuable they actually are. And I'm, I'm really convinced that it's hard to get as many experiences as possible if you just totally disregard turkey hunting yeah yeah man what a what a cool thing for you guys to to get to witness and to get to kind of like walk him through and just be part of all that and i'm sure that this you know this deer season or like that's going to serve him well all over the place no matter what he's doing uh in the woods he's going to have picked up on a ton of that experience oh yeah it's awesome man i just turkey hunting can be whatever you want it to be and if you want to get the most out of it, just keep thinking of how you can like make it, you know, how to make, how do I make it more challenging? How do I go to a new area that's something totally different or, you know, maybe I quit using decoys or whatever it is. And, and you can keep getting tons of fun experiences out of it and keep learning about how to become a better hunter. And I, I mean, I can't stress that enough. That's like, yeah, I just like can't imagine where I would even be without turkey hunting. And I don't, I don't want people to miss an opportunity when it's right there, you know, cause yeah. a lot of opportunity to be out in the woods hunting for sure. For sure. Well, Zach, thanks for your time today, man. I appreciate it. If folks want more from you guys and for somehow I've been living under a rock and have not heard of THP, uh, where can they find more from you? YouTube is that, that's like where we post the majority of the stuff and where the majority of our content is and, um, Instagram and Facebook, um, the hunting public. You can find us there. If you just search those, we also have our own podcast, the hunting public podcast. You can find it on any major podcast platform. Um, I actually do those podcasts. So I try to get just a broad range of topics, subjects. I like talking with friends. I like talking with people that are in different, you know, situations that are maybe not always highlighted. Like, different parts of the U S like the Northeast or the Southeast or Appalachia or, you know, whatever, just something that's not, that's <laughs> just something that's not Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, Oh, uh, what else do we have? Yeah. And then we got our website, the and by all means, if you guys ever have any questions or want to talk anything, just feel free to reach out. We'll do our best to give you a, some sort of answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, sweet, Zach. Thanks for your time today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Josh. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on. Anytime, man. Anytime. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You can find more outdoor-themed podcasts at sportsmansnation.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you download your podcasts. 